You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. brought to my attention. I've got some, some uh, things I'm going to minister, uh, similar to some things I ministered this morning, but, uh, but it's going to be a little bit different because the Lord really brought some things back to my remembrance. And uh, I wrote about two years ago, I was writing, I was writing a book, and in the middle of my writing, I began to write, and, and my writing changed, and I started to prophesy through, through word. And I released this word a couple of years ago, and I'm not going to release the whole thing because it's too long, but it was a prophetic word that the Lord began to stir my heart and to show me some things. And I I believe that this is a prophetic word for the time that we're living in, and in particular, the end time church. And I titled this, or the Lord had me title this, Awaken Church to a New Era. And we're stepping in, and we're on just at the, the brink of some incredible things that God is doing in the earth. And if I've had, if I could boil me down to two things, it would be the love of God, the grace of God, and it would be revival, or it'd be awakening. It would be what God's doing currently right now. And, and what I believe is that those things are merging together to where people are being awakened, hearts are being awakened, and entire moves of ha- are happening in churches. Groups of people are being transformed because of what the Spirit of God is doing through the Word of God, specifically the message of the gospel. And there's been a lot of things that have been lost over the centuries. It's been two millennial, two millennium since Jesus was here. And there's been a lot of things that have been lost, but I believe that God is restoring things back to its original state, but maybe even really better. And let me share this word with you. It's about six paragraphs that I'm going to read out of about 16, all right? So I'm not going to read the whole thing. But I just want to read a few things here that I believe will really, um, I just felt compelled to read this. And so again, this is a prophetic word that the Lord gave me and I begin to write this. We are coming into a new day in the church. We are on the precipice of the greatest awakening the world has ever witnessed. The glory of God will be revealed in ways beyond man's current ability to measure. It's coming in ways beyond our current ability to measure. That means that what's coming We don't even have a concept of what is really going to come. This means we will witness manifested glory beyond what has previously been witnessed by any human at any point in time. Before this happens, the Lord is purging his church of Ishmael, which is man's ability, man's church, so that we may fully step in to be people that are of Isaac, God's ability, God's true church. What the Lord wants to do in the earth will not be possible through the ways and ability of man. It will only come according to his spirit. The time is quickly coming when we will no longer be able to afford to have natural, self-indulgent leaders lead his church. His glorious church will rise and be all she is called to be by his spirit. This will happen only through men whose identity, identity is completely found in him. The days of self-seeking Christians being the primary influence in the church is coming to an end. 
The Holy Spirit has been helping his church sequence back to its original form for decades. With every move of God, revival, awakening, uh, wave of teaching, his glorious church is moving closer to what his original design was and still is. A church marked by the glory of God and not the glory of man. Two more paragraphs. I liken this new era to also have a new breed of people. This new breed of people does not come from a line of men who have relied on the gadgets of human ability, but rather on the wisdom of the Spirit. Get ready. This will undoubtedly bring needed change in how we gather and how we worship in the name of the Lord. This will shake many church governments that need to be shaken and will topple other church governments that need to be toppled. Jesus will have his church government on his shoulders, according to Isaiah 9, 6, not on man's. New ways equal new wineskin. Now is the time to ask, are we ready for this new era? Are we open for his new? The spirit of the Lord cannot move through a people who are stiff-necked and unwilling to change and move with him. Even though we are going to see the Lord manifest in greater measure than we have in generations past, it still requires many of the same ingredients, humility, hunger, prayer, faith, and I believe most importantly, complete abandonment from self unto God. Hallelujah. And there's so much more to that that I, I won't take time to read, <clears throat> but this is my point, is that I believe with everything in me, and it's, it's only growing and I've been able to put some language around it. You know how sometimes you'll, you'll experience something, but you don't even have words to describe what you've, what you've experienced? Well, years ago, I had the Lord begin to stir my heart about, I just titled it as revival because that's what I knew. But to me, now revival speaks more to a particular move and really is geographically is usually more confined, but an awakening has a much broader idea, and I really believe that's what we're, we're on the, the brink of. And the idea of, of an awakening isn't just to say, hey, look what God did in a nation. It was that hearts that were once asleep, or you could say people that were dead, because many times Jesus would refer to dead people as being asleep. And so there is a deadness that's in the earth. There's a deadness that's in the church, but God is reviving his church and he's reviving the earth and we are stepping into something to where what we've been doing isn't going to cut it. The way we've been worshiping, the way that we've been going about our business, the way we've been going about his business, it isn't going to cut the mustard anymore. And God's raising up a people that are strong, that are vibrant, that are totally sold out to him, that are not inundated with all of the stuff of the flesh, that are not given over to the flesh, and that are done with the wisdom of man. Because there's a lot of wisdom of man that's been involved in church that has held to a form of godliness but has denied the power of God. And I'm saying that Jesus, if I could say it like this, Jesus is a little bit ticked off and he's ready to have his church back because he never planned on having a church that was weak, that was anemic, that didn't have the, his spirit flowing through it. He always had the intention of the gospel and the spirit of God and the wisdom of God moving in the hearts of people to a 
accomplish the thing that every, every individual church in every location and every place that was called by him would accomplish what he called them to accomplish. But it can only be accomplished by his spirit, for it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And with the capstone, it will be placed on with shouts of grace, grace. And I declare that that is who we are. That's what God says about us. And I just want to move with God. I want to move with what his spirit is saying. And so I can teach you all kinds of things from the word, which I'm going to do. But sometimes I just have the prophetic word of the Lord that rises up that says we need to declare what he's saying in this hour. And what we've been doing as a whole hasn't been working. Agreed? Because Jesus said, I will build my church in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I have watched, and I'm not, see, I love the church, so I can say this. If you don't love the church, you can't say this. But I've been watching the church for a long time lose the battle in culture. It's, we're losing the battle in the world. We're not winning. In fact, statistics have shown, and I've shared some of these things, but the younger generation, like their generation, that generation, it's not that like, oh, we need to help them before we lose them. Statistically, they are already gone and are going to be the first generation that's considered an ungodly, unchurched generation. Whose fault is that? It's the church's fault. The church is the one responsible to see the truth and the glory and the power of God go from generation to generation to generation. That's our job. Now, I'm not condemned by that, but my, my mind and my heart is awakened to the fact that we have a responsibility. We are only a few short years. We're, let's say, 40 years, a generation away from this nation being totally lost to the devil. And when I read the Bible, Jesus said, I will build, I will build my church, which means that he's got particular ways that he wants things to be done. And if we've got any, any understanding at all, we should know that we need to be seeking Jesus about what it is that he wants. He said, I will build my church. And the gates, what are gates used for? They're, they're defense. It's to keep things out. He says, the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against. Which means what? It means that the church is on the rise, and it's on the offense, and it's on the attack against the kingdom of darkness. Not sitting back, doing nothing, just a hoping and a wishing and a praying, throwing the Holy Spirit out of the services, throwing the Holy Spirit out of our lives because we're so concerned about how it offends people. It's time to offend some flesh. It's time to offend some minds of people. If people are, are, are uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit, my God, people are going to be really uncomfortable when they get into heaven. I mean, the Spirit of God is all around. People are uncomfortable with worship. Wait till you get to heaven. It's going to be filled with worship. And it won't be, and like what I was trying to say, it won't be a by faith thing. It'll just be really, really easy. But the point is, is that that's what we're going to do throughout all eternity. I say, let's do it now. Let's be the kind of people that do it now. Hallelujah. And I say these things, uh, not, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very firm and stern and serious about it, uh, but there's no condemnation involved. But it's just like, we got to get, we got to get on. And I'm speaking, I'm preaching to the choir here tonight. I know that. But the church has to get on the ball and it has to do what God's called us to do. And we just got to make sure we're doing our part. Hallelujah. But the reason I believe that this is so important to talk about these things is I, right now, it's almost like right now, 
there is, an, there is, I think some people are waking up and there's a hunger stirring. But as a whole, like our country and as a whole, even believers are not hungry right now. Not like, not like they need to be. Not like they need to be. I mean, I know that there's pockets of it and things that are going on. And what I'm saying is that what I'm telling you, this is sustaining. This is what will sustain us in the days to come. And it's also going to be the food and the drink, and it's going to be the thing that people need. And if we're not serving up what's good for people, then we're not going to have anything to be able to offer them whenever they need it. If we're not already practiced and participating in the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the power of God, the things of God, there's a lot that goes on in churches, folks, that has nothing to do with the Lord. They hold to a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Paul said, from such people turn away. I thank God I didn't say that. That was Paul's writing. <laughs> imagine what, imagine how, what people thought about that when, it, when Timothy read that. I'm sure he read it to people. They probably thought, man, he was such a hard guy. Turn, people, turn away from people that hold to four. I mean, they're trying to do something good. I mean, by golly, they're just trying to do something good. We should be nicer to them. Paul says, listen, if they're holding to a form of godliness, but they deny the power of the Holy Spirit, don't have anything to do with them. I'm not saying you don't love people, all right? Don't, don't misunderstand me. But what I am saying is that what's been controlling the church for a long time is coming to an end. It needs to not be man controlling church. It needs to be the power of the Holy Spirit controlling the church. Hallelujah. So here's what I want to share. That was, um, that was an introduction, and that was all free, all right? No, no charge for that, amen? Uh, <clears throat> but what I want to do is I want to, I want to give you some language, and this is kind of a, maybe a peek into what God's doing in my heart and what he's been doing in, in this particular church, and also some more language that might describe what it is that he's doing in the earth. And I use this, I've used this analogy a few times, but you know, what's happened is that the church has become very polluted and diluted. It's been very polluted, and it's been very diluted, and people have, have drank of, of what's coming through the church and have gotten really sick. And I'm, this is the truth. This is true. I hate to say this, that first of all, I've been involved with things that I, where I drank from particular wells or streams, that made me sick because there wasn't love involved, there wasn't power involved, there wasn't a lot of things that were involved. And spiritually, it was making me sick. And then, but even in the first part of our ministry, we had to admit this, that because of the allowing toxic people to be around us, we had some, when we very first started this church, but it was really a di totally different church, but not in here, but in Perryville, um, it was toxic because I didn't know what I was doing. This is why sometimes when people come to me, I've had many people come to me and they go, I'm called to be a pastor. And I'm like, awesome. And, and many of them are. And I'll say, just sit and listen and wait and glean and learn because you don't want to jump into it too quick. Because when you start leading a group of people, you are responsible for what go goes on, what those people are getting or not. And for me, like, I didn't want to offend anybody. I didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I wanted people to like me and all that stuff. And I, not intentionally, but I allowed some really toxic people to have too much charge inside the church, and it hurt a lot of people. And it, co it nearly cost me the church. As a matter of fact, it did, but God supernaturally restored it ten, 10 days later. 
You were there. You remember. And um, you were there. You remember. But anyways, praise the Lord. God's in the redeeming business. And when you don't know stuff, he's able to redeem it if you'll just throw yourself at his, at his mercy and say, God, help. Sometimes that's the best prayer we can pray is God, help. And so he restored it all. And then once we started to learn some things, we had to ask for the Holy Spirit's help to, to get rid of some of the toxic things. And w- what happened was that I told the Lord, I was like, Lord, I can't do this, and I need you to give me wisdom. I need you to show me how to do it. And then we started figuring out, and we don't do it perfectly. You know, there, there is no perfect church. Amen? We've heard that before, but it really is the truth. And so we don't do every, anything perfectly. We don't do everything perfectly. Um, but we started to get some things figured out that created health to where when people would come and drink, it was, it was healthy. It wasn't perfect, but it was healthy. And what needs to happen, and I believe is happening, is that there are leaders that are filled with the Spirit of God that are tired of all of the problems and the nonsense. I believe that there are more churches that are doing this because we don't need just one church. We need a lot of churches. There's a lot of lost people, and as the awakening happens in the nation, there are so many people that are going to come to Jesus that I, I believe that the buildings are just going to be so full. We're going to have to build more buildings, and we're going to need more pastors to, to, you know, to be able to contain and help and minister to more people. It takes a lot to minister to even a small group of people. It really does. And so we need that. So I'm championing on other ministries, particularly ones that are tied into, Jesus, what do you want? What is it that you want? I don't really have a whole lot of pain. The older I get, the less patience I have for nonsense. I don't want to be involved in any kind of stuff where people are doing things to try to just put butts in the seats but are not concerned about putting truth in the hearts. And and sometimes, you know, when you put truth in the hearts, you lose seats in the butts. You lose butts in the seats. I knew I was going to say it backwards, and sure enough, I did. Because sometimes people, they just, they just don't want to hear what it is that they need to hear. And that's the thing with deception is that people don't know they're deceived when they're deceived. That's the very nature of deception. And so then all of a sudden when someone becomes undeceived, they're like, oh, wow, I've not been seeing clearly for quite a while. And so you just have to realize that some, not everybody wants what you have at the moment that you have it. But you have to keep doing what God says. You can't be moved by man. You can't be moved by man. You have to be moved by the Spirit of God. We can't, we can't be at a place to where we are wavering on what's true. And the thing is, is that I think a lot of times there's things that get set up with good heart to try to reach people. But if there's ever compromise in terms of the truth, and there's compromise in terms of the Holy Spirit being involved, then that's no compromise to make. It's true. And if you want to know why, our, why we've lost the generation, I'll tell you exactly why. Statistically, now by faith, I believe that we haven't lost the generation. Amen. But I'm just talking about statistically, the reason we've lost the generation is because we've had, I'll say, 30 plus years of what I call a seeker-friendly movement in the world, but primarily in, in the United States. And the seeker-friendly movement has had some good things that have come have come from it. There has, it hasn't been all bad, but the basis behind it has been we need to evangelize and reach people, so let's make all of these adjustments so that they will feel comfortable when they come in. And there's an element of truth. Like, we have padded seats here, right? I mean, we don't have hard seats because we want you to feel comfortable. Not too comfortable. I don't want you to fall asleep when I'm preaching. Amen? But um, 
you know, there's some things that you can do like that, but what you don't compromise, you can compromise methodology, but you can't ever compromise the message. If you do, it will cost you. And what you compromise to keep, you will ultimately lose in the end anyways. And we have compromised to keep the younger generations coming to church. And the ones that are not coming, this is what Barna says. You know, Barna's a research master. And Barna says that the reason that the younger generations don't want to come to church is because they don't view it as being relevant in their life. And the truth is, is if the word of God isn't being preached, the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't being taught, the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't allowed to be moved, uh, and just truth being presented and, and, you know, worship going forth, those kind of things that we're supposed to do, it isn't relevant in their life. Because the only thing that's relevant is Jesus and his word. The only thing that is relevant in this life is what God has to offer. It's never what man has to offer. So this just really lights me on fire, amen. And I, I really do, I get intense, but I really do love the church. I really do. I'm contending for the church. I'm, I meet in, in Perryville in particular about once a month. And, uh, and I've, I've got some over here that I've started meeting with too. But once a month, I meet with um, a Presbyterian minister and I meet with a Methodist minister. They're willing to meet with me. I had the Assembly of God minister, but he just quit. But anyways, uh, you know, and those guys don't even believe like like I believe. They they think I'm I'm crazy, but they know that I love them. So they're willing to come and they're willing to come and meet, and we pray together. And it's really interesting. Is we'll go around in a, in a circle. It's just three of us now. We meet together for prayer. But what we do is we talk for an hour and twenty five minutes, and then we pray for about five minutes. Because when, when you don't pray in tongues or anything like that, you can pray for the whole world in just a couple of minutes. So, you know, we just don't know how to pray very long together. But we do it anyways. And uh, the Methodist minister, he's, he's an awesome guy. I mean, he's really a true pastor. He really is. And he knows I pray in tongues. And he came to me one time. He said, uh, Kent, he said, now, I don't want to hinder you when you're praying. And he said, if you feel like you just need to pray in tongues, you just go ahead and pray in tongues. And I thought, that's, and I don't because I know it would freak him out, even though he says that. It definitely would freak the Presbyterian minister out. But, uh, you know, but I really love these guys. And so I'm, con I'm contending because, especially for the, for the one, I mean, he really is a true pastor. He just maybe doesn't see things quite like I see it or whatever. But, you know, I'm contending for the church. I'm contending for ministers and even different denominations. But there's coming a time to where if people... If ministers, if the church doesn't rise up and be who God has called her to be and stop being worried about offending people, they're going to fall by the wayside. And I'm not prophesying that negatively. I don't want that to happen. But I'm saying the Lord will have his church. He will have his church, and his church is going to rise. Amen. So I'm going to give you a little bit more concerning here. I really haven't given you much as of yet, concerning some of this language of what I believe that the Lord is bringing us into. But, you know, one of the things that I, I noticed that, so the last, uh, the last eight days, I've been to two different, I'm sorry, three different funerals. And uh, one of them was a Catholic funeral. Um, that was my, my uncle. And um, he kept calling God a woman. But I don't, I don't know what that was about. But anyways, uh, maybe somebody knows. Maybe he was saying, talking about Mary at that time. I don't, I don't know. But anyways, um, so, you know, whatever. But, uh, and then I went to, it's interesting. So Ron and Wendy aren't here tonight. Oh, by the way, 
uh, there, I just got a message a couple minutes ago from them. They were in the hospital. Uh, they're fine, but they were there ministering to a uh, nephew of Wendy's and who was just totally being demonized. I'll just say it that way. And uh, so Ron, along with another guy in the family who um, had some understanding about how to deal with it, they went in and they were able to deal with that demon and they saw some freedom and some breakthrough. Happened right during worship, as we were during worship, Wendy texted me and told me what was going on. So uh, praise God. So they, they both, both of their dads, the craziest thing I've ever heard of, both of their dads, so Ron's dad died about, what, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, something like that. And then Wendy's dad died a little over a week ago, and both of their funeral services ended up being on the same day. Isn't that crazy? I've never heard of such a thing. And so we went and just supported them yesterday and went to both of those. <clears throat> and But anyways, my point in saying all that, praise God for the, for the nephew being set free, amen. God, uh, Ron got him to denounce some of the things that have been uh, that had taken place, that had been just stuff that whatever. And anyway, so he's able to come in agreement with it, so it's good. Um, but I was, when I went to those three different funerals, you know, sometimes exposure to other things, it kind of it helps you realize or, or see where you're at and maybe where other people are at, not for the sake of judging, but just for the sake of observation. And it, it was just clear to me that, like, they're really different than I am. And they do things really different than I do. And, they, and, and one of them in particular was almost like we were in a, a Baptist service. Basically, the one was. And it, it was good. He ministered the gospel. It was, it was really good. And uh, I thought if I was Baptist, I'd go there. Amen. I mean, it was, it was good. And, uh, but we, we do some things different. And, and it's not because of we've got particular colors on our walls. And it's not because of how we do the lights during worship or anything like that. Which, by the way, there's nothing spiritual about that. We just... I just like it to be a little bit more dim during worship so people quit paying attention to their neighbor and paying attention to Jesus, amen? I, I find it easier. So it's not spiritual, but it's just practical. But um, I, I really have begun to notice this, though, over the years that see the Lord, because Liz and I basically, here's how we pastor. You want to know how we pastor? Is that daily we go before the Lord and we work through just our own stuff. But You may or may not believe this, but we have stuff to work through on our own, too. I know you think we're perfect she basically is perfect, to be honest with you, but I'm really the problem in the marriage. But <laughs> it's kind of true. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I prayed for somebody. To, I prayed to marry somebody like my, like my mom, and, and she's uh, not as tall as my mom was, but, you know, uh, really is just as powerful in the Lord, if not more so. And so, praise the Lord. And um, forget all that. But... Uh, Hey, this is how we pastor, okay? This is how we lead, is that we just spend every day seeking the Lord on instruction, direction, wisdom, understanding, revelation, and what you see is a product of the Lord manifesting his life through us the very best that we've learned how to cooperate with him. If anything you don't like, it's just us that got in the way. <laughs> but whatever you do like, it was just us getting out of the way and allowing the Lord to have his way. Amen. So you can pray for us that, that we get better at getting out of the way. Amen. So when you're praying for me, you can say, Lord, help him get out of the way a little bit more. Amen. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. 
But that's just basically, that's just basically how, we, how we lead. That's basically how we do this thing. But what I have found is that I get really drawn back to how the church was in the book of Acts. Anybody ever read the book of Acts and you're like, I love what's happening there. I mean, you look at it from the day of Pentecost, they were all in one accord. I mean, come on. Till, till this, till this church, and I just call it this church, it's in two places, but this church, until this church, I can't recall ever a time or a group of people where we were in one accord. It's true, tr- am I being true? What? You're supposed to say yes, help me out. Yeah. I was saying I can't ever recall a time like in our lives where we have ever been in a place to where we have been at one accord with people. Okay, this is all a side nugget anyways. Wow. Okay. <laughs> See the trouble I have in No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, sh- I should never even jokingly criticize because I get, I mean, everybody always takes their side, rightfully so. Uh, anyways, okay, so praise the Lord. I've said anyways a lot because I've had a lot of rabbit trails, but I believe that they've been good. I haven't even touched my notes, so it's going to be a two-week message for sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, help me. Pray for me. Where was I going with that? Please help me. I need to stay on track. Yeah, yeah, book of Acts, unity. Praise the Lord. What God's doing here looks at least a little bit like the book of Acts. And it's continuing to grow more and more and more and more and more. And this is why when it comes to unity in particular, it's foundational. Like if it's not there, then it has to be there. And so I told somebody recently that they were coming to me with, with this situation. And I said, there is so much grace for people until they become divisive and then there's no grace left. Only one or two times because Paul said, he said, reject a man. This was Paul's grace for divisiveness. He said, reject a man after the first and second admonition. So in other words, after you dealt with them, you know, a couple times, or maybe it was second or third or whatever, after you dealt with them like two or three times, and he won't repent and continues to be divisive, he said, kick him out. That was Paul's level of grace for divisiveness. And I'm, I'm kind of kidding. I'm not looking to kick anybody out. But what I am saying is that when you have people that come together and they get unified together, God's able to work in their midst. And so that's why I just got to this point where I'm like, I don't really care about whether people like me or they don't like this or they don't like that. As long as they're willing to walk in love and be unified, that's really all I care about. Because if people will do that, then God can do, any, God can do anything in their midst. And so I'm really drawn to this thing of like, Lord, I want to go back to what it was like in the book of Acts. I don't want to wear sandals. I don't want to have to ride a donkey to church. Amen. I like the fact that we have air conditioning. People wear deodorant. Uh, I'm fine with the sound system and all of our gadgets and everything. All that's great. But the fruit that was there is what I'm after. I want the fruit of that. And so what I, I call that, is an, is an apostolic church or an apostolic people. And the reason that I say that, the reason I call that, is because Jesus had his disciples. Remember, he had the original 12. And then with those disciples, he said to, first of all, he said to wait, right? They had to wait and get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. But then the instructions from there were to go. And they became sent ones. 
And then they were no longer known as disciples. They were known as apostles. And the, and the word apostle means sent one. And so what needs to be re-understood and brought back into church culture and church language is the, the idea of an apostolic church. And so what they did was that they moved forward and they brought the, the realities, the revelation of the kingdom into the places that they went into. And so the term apostle... Um, first of all, let me just say this. It's the Greek phrase uh, apostle or apostolos. Apostle is the Greek phrase apostolos, and it's in the New Testament uh, about 74 times. The, f- the phrase for pastor or pastors is poime, and it's in there 18 times. And so whenever we reference any kind of leader of a local church, we automatically say pastor. And I'm not against that. That's fine. But we don't even touch the idea of apostles or any kind of apostolic ministry. I mean, as a matter of fact, it's taboo. When I introduced this several years, several years ago, uh, people were like, I mean, I mean, it was almost like I was speaking a foreign language. Some people thought I was preaching heresy. And I'm like, no, 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 this is in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the idea of apostles is more common language scripturally than the idea of pastors. Now, I'm not against pastors. The Bible says that he's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We need all of the fivefold ministry. But what's been there and what was there in terms of the apostolic ministry has essentially been lost over the last 2,000 years. But I believe that there is a new apostolic reformation that is taking place in the earth, in the church right now. And the reason, now you won't find the language of like apostolic people in the church, and it's because that's just what they were. That's just what they did. They didn't have to necessarily bring description around it because it's just who they were, but you can see the fruit of it that was there. And the word apostle, it came from the, the idea came from the Romans. And what would happen is that when the Romans would go in and they would conquer, because remember they were always about conquering new territory, when they would go in and they would conquer something, they would conquer a territory, they would send in their apostles, and those apostles would, would go in, and this was their job. Their job was to go in, and it was to make the new conquered territory look like the kingdom that they were representing so that when the king showed up, it was as if he was in Rome. (laughs) So I look at that and I'm like, all right, Jesus, you're the one, when you read especially about Paul, I think probably every one of his books, with the exception of of Hebrews, every one of his books that he wrote, he identified himself as Paul the Apostle. Was, was he saying that because he had an identity problem and he wanted everyone to think he was something special? No, he didn't have an identity problem. He knew exactly who he was in Christ Jesus. What he was trying to get people to see was that there was an authority that was on him from heaven to bring about the realities of heaven into their situation. Apostles, and so what apostles are supposed to do is that they're supposed to bring the reality of heaven to where a people... They don't just come under an apostle and be like, oh, most high apostle, whatever. There's been weird stuff that's gone on, weird stuff. What an apostle is supposed to do, and the same with evangelists, pastors, teachers, and prophets, is they're supposed to come in, and they're supposed to make those people be apostolic. They're supposed to help them develop a culture of an apostolic people, 
of a, and the prophets of a prophetic people and pastors of being pastoral. So those, those gifts and those ideas and those uh, anointings are supposed to be injected into a group of people. And this has been totally, just almost completely abandoned in the church. And at the very least, it's been, it's been there in some cases, but it hasn't been understood. And if you don't understand something, you can't operate in what you don't understand. You can ride in a car and realize that the car can take you somewhere, but it's not until you understand how to drive the car can you operate it and make the direction, make it go the direction that you need it to go. Hallelujah. So what, here's what I want to do is I want to give you uh, 12 things, and I'm only going to get through maybe one or two tonight uh, because we're just about out of time. But I'm going to give you 12 things that depict, um, and we're going to call these attributes, what an apostolic people look like. And so if we're going to talk about us being apostolic people, and again, this could be strange language, like where are you coming up with this? Just remember the whole idea is that when you compare the modern church, the the present day church, I'll say it that way, to the book of Acts, it looks very, very, very different. So what are we supposed to do? Well, some people think, you know, you can... uh, (laughs) You know, sound systems are the problem. I had one guy tell me, he's like, I was in a church one time and it was going good until they set out chairs. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think the chairs or the sound system was the problem. That, that's not the issue. It's the revelation that the people carry. It's the understanding that they have. And so what, what I'm doing with this, my intention is to re-inject, to inject the revelation and the culture and the identity that the Holy Spirit would want us to have to carry the things in the earth that he wants us to carry. Because my, my, heart, my heart really is to bring reformation to the church because the church will bring reformation to the whole world. I can't bring reformation to the whole world, but you can. We can together. But my job is to, to reform the church. As a matter of fact, I have a shirt we had made up, and it says, Born to Reform. I wanted to say born again to reform, but that didn't sound quite as cool. So I just went with born to reform. And for me, that's why I'm born again. And truly, that's why you are born again, is you are born again to reform what needs to be reformed to look like God intended for it to look. I mean, come on. It's like somebody's got to get serious about this thing and say, God, if your church is the answer, and I believe God's church is the answer, If you don't believe that, just get in the Bible, just read it, just read the New Testament once or twice or three times, and you realize, yep, the church absolutely is the answer for the world. So if the church is the answer, but yet we're not seeing the needs met by the world, the world's not seeing the needs met, and we're losing the the, the battle in the world, then we need to step back and go, why is that happening? Is it because Jesus has just decided like, yeah, I'm not interested in doing anything or, or God's just sitting there going, well, eventually I'm gonna move and do something. No, he's waiting on us. See, a lot of times people are praying and waiting for revival, but the truth is, is that revival already lives on the inside of you. The spirit of revival lives on the inside of you. You can't have any more of God. You can't have any more of the Holy Ghost. You can't have any more of the essence of God, the nature of God, the virtue of God, the anointing of God. You can't have any more on the inside of you than what you do right now. And I'm I'm for revival awakening and seeing God do those things, but what I am saying is that you already possess it on the inside of you. We all do. So the answer is going to the Lord and say, God, help us position ourselves to where we see things, we view things, the way that you see things and the way that you view things. 
Because it says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. People have taken the Lord, and churches have done this for years, they've taken the Lord, my God, I could get a lot of trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyways. They've taken the Lord and they have, made, they have made an idol out of what they think God is. And they've painted him into a corner and said, this is how we're going to worship God. I tell you now, when the children of Israel didn't worship God like he told them to worship, it was not a good thing. Things did not work out well for them. There was particular ways that God wants to be worshipped. Now, he's, he's a loving God. Amen. He's, he's gracious. You don't have to like, be worried when you come into his presence. But I am saying that there should be a, a reverence in God's people for who God is. I fear God way too much to lead people without seeking him for God. How do you want me to lead your people? Because those are not my people. Those are your people. And I don't want to screw it up. There needs to be a reverence come back to the church. I mean a whole, you want to do something? You want to really pray for something in this region? Get the, do this quietly, okay? Don't cause a ruckus and then say, my pastor said, and then you make us think about it, all right? But get the names of the pastors that are around here, and you start praying that they would get on their face and seek God to lead their people the way that God wants them to be led. Because I can promise you, if they would do that, the baptism of the Holy Spirit would be reintroduced to the churches. If they would do it, signs and wonders and miracles would start to happen. They would at, very, at the very least be preached. Instead of coming up with excuses and doctrines to keep people stuck in a religious mindset and say, this is who God is and this is how we're going to worship him, that is idolatry. I'll just call it, it's easier to say it here than in Perryville, but the Catholic Church has been doing this for years. I think that there are many good, good Catholics, but I think the idea and the, the doctrines and things that are in the Catholic Church are demonic. How can you worship? We've got, we've got over in Perryville, and we were just walking there. Liz, Liz runs there uh, pretty often. She goes jogging around, and I was there with her the other day, and and we were walking, well, we're supposed to be jogging, but you know, walking a little bit. <laughs> Did what I could. But um, there was this one, one stone there. What did it say? And it said something about going to all the world and tell the world about Mary. Now, I know that's extreme, and, and Protestant churches don't do things usually that extreme. They do, but it just looks a little bit different. But I was, look, I, mean, I was looking at that, and I was thinking, my God, the only way somebody could do that is because they're deceived and they don't know what the truth is. Now, I'm not against Catholics. I love Catholics. As a matter of fact, there's been, uh, there's been, there's been a charismatic revival that's taken place in the Catholic Church before because a few priests got on fire for Jesus and started preaching the truth. And they were in their robes and doing all the weird stuff, but they started preaching Jesus and great things happened. So I'm not against the people, but I'm very much against the religious system that's going on. If, if we could think about this, if the churches would, the pastors, the, the, whatever they call themselves, the clergy, if they, would, if they themselves would get reformed, if they would open the Bible up and say, God, show me. You show me who you are and I will do what you say. 
if they would come back to a reverential fear of God like that, the whole church would change, the whole nation would change, and the billion-soul harvest would happen. I'm convinced of it. So the Reformation isn't just seeing the world come to Jesus. If the world came to Jesus right now, the church would screw most of them up. I shouldn't say screw up. I'm sorry. It would mess them up. Whatever. Whatever. I don't know. I am who I am. <laughs> Donna, Donna has to pray a lot, probably while I'm, while I'm preaching. She doesn't like the word crap. And the very first time I was here, I said crap. And someone's like, Donna don't really like that. And I was like, well... We're going to test Donna's love walk is what we're going to do. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She's very loving, been very gracious. But um, praise the Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I didn't get to any of these. Let me give you two, and then is it okay that I just share some of these things like this? Man, I, 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 I just, sometimes I have the, 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 the lightness of the Holy Spirit come on me, and other times it's like, let's get down to business. And that's how I feel tonight is just, I'm, I'm really concerned about the business of the Lord and that we carry on doing what he's asked us to do. And by the way, don't, don't anyone ever walk away from one of my messages or meetings and think he really doesn't love the church. I love the church. I pray for the church. I'm believing God for the church. But I, I feel the severity of God. I believe God's good, but he's also severe. And you can read. You don't have to take my word for it. You can read in Revelation John was caught up into the spirit. See, we got to see things like God sees things. He was, he was caught up into the spirit, and when he was caught up, the, the voice had come up here, and I'm going to show you some things that are to come. And the deal is, is that it was actually right before that. Well, no, it was, it was yes, that he was caught up, and the, the spirit said, I'm going to show you some things. And he began to show him Jesus walking in the midst of the churches, and Jesus had uh, was feet were uh, had brought were bronze, right? Is that right? Is it bronze, and or is it brass? Brass. Someone tell me. Someone smart. Is brass or bronze? One of those things rep- represents judgment. Now we're not talking about to hellfire, but we're talking about judgment that comes in and says, "I'm going to look at what you're doing right here, and I'm going to tell you whether it's right or wrong." And how many of y'all know that Jesus has the right to look at anybody or anything and tell them whether what they're doing is right or whether it's wrong? He, care, he, he reserves that right. He is king. He reserves the right to do that. And then you can read where he dealt with the seven churches, and it says that, um, that there were, out of all seven of them, he commended all of them for things that they were doing right. But five out of the seven... He reprimanded them for things that they were not doing right or things that they were doing wrong. This was Jesus. He came and he said, I know firsthand, I know your works and I have these things against you. And when I read that, one time I was reading that and I said, Lord, I'll be your pastor and I'll be your leader, whatever. I'll, I'll lead your people, but I don't want to be one of those that you reprimand. I want to be one of those that you say, you did a great job. Thank you for following my voice. And this is why I've just gotten to the point to where I'm like, I'm okay with offending people. I mean, I don't try to offend people. I mean, maybe a little bit sometimes, but uh, help me, Jesus. No, I really don't try to offend people, but uh, I'm okay with it so long as I'm doing the Lord's business. I'm just, I've just got to where I'm like, I'm okay with it. It's just, it's not a problem. Because if the Lord's happy with what I'm doing, then I'm happy with what I'm doing. And we, that's where the church has lost its way so severely. We've got, we stopped caring about what really 
the Lord is concerned about. All right, let me give you two attributes, two only, and then we're going to close for tonight, and that will be enough. Thank you guys for your patience and um, just receiving what I've been pouring out. So here's two attributes of what an apostolic people look like. And again, it's just the idea of going back and like, Lord, what does your church look like and what did it look like in the early times? And here's the first one is that an apostolic people keep covenant as paramount. They keep covenant as paramount. So we aren't here because we agree. We're here because we're family. We don't gather together. I can say for this church and really the church of the Lord Jesus, we don't come together because we agree. We come together because we're family. You say, well, why is that so important? Because as, as soon as, see, there's denominations that are there, but it's not so much the name that's on the door, but it's the writing that's on the heart. And denominationalism, the idea of it, the spirit that's behind it has vexed the church. And what we've done is we say, well, this is what we believe over here. And if you don't believe, and I know, I know we have to believe truth. We have to believe the Bible, but we're all trying to figure it out, right? We don't, none of us has got it all, all figured out. But people that are, are coming together and saying, we believe this, and you need to agree with us. When someone comes in because they agree, the reason that they leave will because they find a disagreement. I mean, if what, what brings you together is, is agreement, what's going to separate you is disagreement. All you have to find is two people and put them in a room for 10 minutes. Any two people. And they can easily find something that they disagree on. True? Well, maybe we'll give it an hour. You take two nice people like Liz, you know. Maybe longer than that. She's very hard to disagree with. Uh, and she's not, she's not easy to disagree with people. But you take two people like me, it'll be like two minutes. I'll be like, well, I don't believe that, you know. Just my natural self, my flesh self, but not the, not the, uh, not the reformed Kent, amen? My point is you can find people that easily that disagree with. That's not what the church is built on. It's not built on agreement or disagreement. It's built on covenant. And covenant says, I value what we have together because of Christ over any disagreement that we could possibly ever have. In a real, true apostolic people, develop a culture of I love you and I accept you because of what Jesus has done, and it just doesn't matter that we disagree. That's the way that God's designed us to be, amen. And this is the second one. I'm gonna stop here. This is it for tonight. And this goes right along with it, is that an apostolic people pursues unity while celebrating diversity. They pursue unity while celebrating diversity. And unity is really important to understand even the difference uh, between unity and uniformity. And I have a definition I'm going to pull up here and read for you. And so here's the difference between unity and uniformity. Unity refers to the union or harmony of a group of people, whereas uniformity is a state of always having the same form, manner, or degree. So there's a lot of uniformity that happens with people that say you have to believe and think and do everything just like me. It's like they're trying to get everybody to look just like this. The church of the Lord Jesus, you can read in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, and Paul says, can the eye say to the foot, I don't need you, or the hand say to the, to the arm or whatever all the body parts he uses there? He's like, no, you can't do that. There's a, there's a diversity within the church that needs to be celebrated because, honestly, the, 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 the eyeball can't go anywhere without the foot. 
And the foot can't see where it's going unless the eye tells it where to go to. So, like, we need each other desperately. We need each other. And so unity is not about uniformity, but it's about celebrating the differences we have in coming together under the banner of Jesus, under the banner of look what God has done in our life, and celebrating the diversity that we have in one another. Praise God. Hallelujah. And cutting each other a whole lot of slack as we're trying to figure it out. You want to know why, um, and I look at them, why I've honored Ron and Wendy so much? is because they were there at, we have some argument about this, but I, I, I thought it was like the eighth service. They said it was like the fifth service. But anyways, nearly from the very beginning of when we moved to Perryville, they were there, and they listened to me minister. And I think I've always been a pretty decent teacher and minister and stuff, but they watched me lead when I didn't have a cotton-picking clue of how to lead. But they saw something on me, and they knew that God spoke to them to be, to be with me, and they have stayed with me based on covenant and based on what God was telling them to do and not based on whether I did it perfect or not. That is what the church is built on. That's what it's built on. And many of you are wired the exact same way. You're sitting here tonight, not because I preach fluffy messages, but because you believe in what God's doing in this place. Amen. And there, there's, there's just a growth that we're in and that we're going to continue in and God's going to continue doing to where we're a strong people. That's why we have the, the vision statement of building strong people, building strong churches. We're a strong people. And, you know, a strong people isn't just that you have this, you know, this real strong personality and you run over everybody. Like, that's not, that's not what it is. But it's to where the devil can't ever run over you and he can't ever come in between you and the relationships that God has called to be together. Amen. Hallelujah. This thing's just getting sweeter and sweeter. We've, we've really, we've not even taken off. I'm going to say this one last thing. I, I meant to share this earlier and forgot. You know, um, many of you know who Joseph Z is, and he's, um, uh, he actually just did a, a program on, I don't know if some saw this, on Sid Roth. And uh, so that's going to be airing at some point or whatever. And uh, so that's awesome. And so he texted me this morning, and I don't bother him too much. He's, you know, he's just all over the place and is just, you know, he's got a huge ministry. And he, this was at 8.36, and I was standing in the sanctuary at Perryville this morning, just getting ready for things. And he said, I'm about to, this is what he texted me. He said, I'm about to minister in Oklahoma this morning, and I was thinking about how much we love you and Liz and your church. And then he said this, you haven't seen anything yet, my friend. The Lord is pleased with you and your wonderful church. Talk to you soon. And I'll say this in particular, when he was here this last time, and, uh, it, you know, he's given all these words to Liz and I. I mean, he reads our mail like it's nobody's business. It's crazy. It's crazy how accurate he is. I've never been around anybody that's as accurate as him. And when he was here, he was floored by this place, by the Bonterre campus, floored. He's like, this place is awesome, Pastor Ken. And he was so exhausted this Sunday night that he, that he was here, and we went up in the office and all of his crew was ready to, like, go back. They were all tired and stuff. And he sat up there in my chair, and he was like this. I mean, he was like, he, and, and he just talked about how awesome this church is and about what God's doing in this place and how amazing it is and what an, what an incredible, uh, all of that stuff. And, but he was really floored by, by this place. And I'm going to tell you now, Liz and I are floored by this place. It's awesome. It's special. This is a special work that God is doing here. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. 
If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.